0: I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. It's coming up on Earth Day, and this year we have some interesting data to consider. During the global pandemic, many countries all but shut down, travel dropped precipitously, many people stopped commuting, and large gatherings were almost entirely cancelled. This led to a noticeable decrease in air pollution in many areas. In fact, according to data reported by the European Space Agency last June, COVID-19's effect on air quality could be seen from space. This does not mean that climate change has been noticeably affected. Industrial operations are still a big factor in air quality. Many people want to return to previously normal activities as soon as possible, and we are all still heading towards a tipping point for global climate change. But we can learn from this data. Here to discuss the ongoing trend towards sustainability are Greg Bellardo, Senior Director of Corporate Sustainability for Charles River, and Eric Mohn, Director of America Sustainability Services at Schneider Electric. Welcome, Greg and Eric.
1: Welcome. Great to be here. Thanks. Glad to be here as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys for coming. So to get us started, what do each of you see as the lessons learned from lockdown in terms of sustainability? Eric, uh, why don't you, oh, Greg, why don't you start?
2: (laughs) You know what? I saw that as a softball question. I'm like, let me go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Fire away.
2: (laughs) Sorry, Eric. So to me, what we learned from lockdown is a little bit of the world of possibility and maybe how we want to do things a little bit differently moving forward. Of course, we don't want to operate where there's no travel, where everybody is working remotely all the time, but we did see the dramatic benefits of a lower carbon footprint. I think it was roughly a 17% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions that were attributed to the slowdown during the pandemic. That's not how we wanted to achieve those reductions, but certainly we saw I think it was the mountains in Los Angeles for the first time in in 20 years or so. The smog had cleared up. And we realized that we can reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and, and clean up our air even more quickly than we're doing it. So I do think we'll start to see more remote work moving forward, probably more of a hybrid model. People still need socialization. People are not necessarily having to live in the town in which they work all the time. A lot of things that were done face to face, a lot of sales calls. I have friends of mine that were on planes all the time and they realized we just don't need to do this.
0: And Eric, can you weigh in and can you also tell us a little bit about Schneider Electric and the perspective that you're coming from?
1: Sure. Thanks. Uh, and And as I said, I appreciate the opportunity to join you all on this podcast today. As I mentioned, I'm with Schneider Electric, Um, in addition to being a global manufacturing company that produces electronics equipment, basically supports all aspects of, of the energy infrastructure, my group, the group that I'm sitting with in the energy supply and sustainability business, really focuses on consulting around topics of sustainability, energy management, energy efficiency, and climate change. And so certainly we, we've got our own perspective in terms of how it's impacted our business and our way of working. Like Greg, I'm an optimist, and I think, if anything, it's sort of opened our eyes to many of the opportunities and sort of challenged the way in which we've always gone about and, and done things. Um, but given that we also work in the consulting space and, and interact with a number of different client organizations around the globe, you know, we we obviously know that it hasn't impacted all organizations in the same way. You know, I'd, I'd largely agree with Greg that changes in the way in which we communicate, changes in the way in which we assume a need for physical presence, uh, either in an office or in a meeting or in a hotel or on an airplane, are definitely going to be things that'll, that will carry with us. In terms of immediate impacts to climate change and to, to global emissions footprint, you know, we think about things like business travel. That's That's probably the most pronounced impact that we'll see. In numbers that folks are reporting out on for for 2020, for instance. You know, we work with a number of, of folks in commercial businesses, whether it's banking or sales or things like that. We've seen 90 plus percent drops in your year on year, reliance on things like air travel, and which, as you might know, has a significant greenhouse gas emission footprint. You know, Greg alluded to cars and commuting earlier, but even more broadly, thinking about business travel by rental cars, you know, with owned fleets and sales vehicles that are out there on the roads. I know my morning commute in the mornings when I have gotten out and you know, ventured into the office has been considerably lighter than we've experienced and so you know mobility is certainly an area that we've seen impacts and, and probably some lessons learned that will retain into the new normal as everyone says. I think though as well Greg's point around you know hot desks and virtual working environments and things like that that's a that's a challenge and an opportunity for for all organizations so the need to, to create safe well-lit and well-conditioned spaces, for population that may vary in the future, I think, is a challenge that organizations will wrestle with. How tight or how lean can we get with real estate now um, while still allowing for for those needs to to get together virtually. But I think as as well we'll see elimination of it. In the retail sector, for instance, an industry that was already undergoing massive shifts towards e-commerce and and mobile shopping and online shopping and and things of that nature. Clearly we've seen an acceleration of that over 2020 and Maybe some of those shopping trends remain. I know I can speak for my family. There's folks in my family who are eager to get back to the mall or get back to a store. But for others of us, we're, we're perfectly happy to continue uh, shopping online and you know having goods and services arrive to our door rather than needing to get into a car or go into a building for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And sorry for my dog barking. <laughs> I don't know what he's so upset about. So this one is for both of you. Do you think that the trend towards working from home maybe traveling less only when it's strictly necessary and things like that, are those going to have a noticeable impact on climate change in in the sense that kind of every little bit helps?
1: I think it's fair to say that every little bit does help. And and how little that little bit is uh, definitely depends on the industry or the sector that you're in. So, you know, speaking for folks in a manufacturing or in a products manufacturing, consumer products type of footprint, you know, when we think about things like business travel emissions, or we think about employee commuting emissions and things like that, they largely pale in comparison to some of the other more higher magnitude emission streams, either the, the business's own scope one and two footprint, you know, the fuels they burn or the electricity that they consume. But it definitely does count uh, and it definitely does matter. You think of other organizations that may be very service focused. So organizations that may be out in people's homes or in offices providing services or doing work. In those cases, I think we could see some significant changes in the emissions footprint and trajectory
2: moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Greg, what do you think would be the impact from kind of a corporate sustainability angle?
2: Well, I I agree with Eric. Certainly, every little bit helps. Anywhere we can reduce our GHGs, that uh, that is helpful. I think we've all gotten much, much more comfortable with Zoom calls, video calls, Microsoft Teams calls, and I think that will replace, to some degree travel moving forward. But certainly we won't not travel at all and that will that will come back to some degree. But I do think it will be less than it was before.
1: I think each organization, as they've had the opportunity to look at their facilities without product going out the door, without people in the offices, without product moving down conveyors and, and things like that, has gotten to assess what sort of baseload looks like. You know, historically we've we've looked at things like, you know, holiday breaks in the wintertime or maybe there's a, a, a summertime shutdown of a factory and You start to wonder, okay, why are the lights in the warehouse still on or why is the air compressor still running and things like that? This provided really almost a 10 to 11 month period for for a lot of organizations of really looking at their buildings and saying, what needs to be left on? For whom do we need to leave what lights on and how can we continue to occupy a space in a safe and productive way, but one in which uh, we minimize our costs, we minimize our our emissions footprint, we minimize our, our energy footprint. And so I think it's uh, provided an alternative view of looking at the way we utilize our facilities that really start to treat buildings more as services that meet a need rather than assets that we're sort of committed to one way or the other. And so I, I think it's an interesting paradigm shift in, in the way organizations are looking at their footprint during this period.
0: Well, that actually segs in nicely. So for both of you, do you think that lockdown had an effect on companies' sustainability goals, You know, either positive or negative?
2: Certainly for Charles River, we have moved forward. We had announced right before lockdown our Scope 1 and 2 GHG goals. During lockdown, we announced the Scope 3 goal, and then they were all approved, science-based targets, and they were approved. And I believe, Eric, during the lockdown period, the amount of companies that were proposing and getting approval for science-based targets increased. In fact, I think this was the, the most within the last year. So it hasn't slowed things down. If anything, companies have been charging ahead even stronger than before.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct, Greg. Uh, One of the things that we sort of held our breath on uh, at the very early onset of the pandemic and the lockdowns was really how much attention is this going to absolutely rightly and appropriately pull from other topics that organizations are looking at, whether it's sustainability, sustainability whether it's other aspects of environmental, social, and governance topics. But to your point, Greg, despite dealing with the acute and immediate impacts, both physical, psychological, social of the pandemic, organizations have continued to maintain their commitment to and even double down on their commitments around sustainability. So whether that's you know, a record number of you know, more than, I think, 150, 200 new organizations joining the Science-Based Targets Initiative or reporting to the carbon disclosure project being up 13% year on year. I think what we had initially thought might be a bit of a step back or a reshift in focus or priorities actually ended up being a bit of an inflection point for the overall climate crisis that if anything hasn't gone away, it's just, uh, it's been brought front of mind of, oh, actually our businesses, organizations do need to think about resiliency. They do need to think about risk and the pandemic is one of many ways of reminding organizations of that.
0: Maybe it did actually, do you think it actually helped people start thinking in that way and thinking more long-term about their very real impact on, on the earth and on their environment?
1: I think the pandemic certainly put things in in perspective in two key ways. One is around the interconnectedness of what we all experience as part of being a global population. I think the pandemic really helped illustrate that in a way that felt more theoretical or abstract when we think about the time horizons that climate change typically takes. And then the second point is around that time scale. So when we think about climate change, certainly we're feeling immediate and acute uh, and near-term impacts of climate change, but it's going to take not just a few months to solve or even a year to solve but the climate change battle is going to be more of a slog and so you mm-hmm. think about the type of long term commitments organizations such as Charles River Laboratories and others are taking we're talking 2030 and beyond time horizon so we certainly don't need to wait we don't need to to use uh, distractions of the day to day as an opportunity to focus elsewhere but it's it's definitely a long game we're playing here and i think the pandemic helped us think more long term and more global
0: You mentioned, you both mentioned science-based targets. Can you talk a little bit about what that is?
1: Greg, you want me to take a stab at that one or you want to go with it?
2: (laughs) Why don't you? Why don't you? And I'll do some color commentary on top of it. How about that? (laughs) Sounds perfect.
1: (laughs) So at its core, science-based targets are those in the greenhouse gas management or climate change community that are developed uh, based on scientific consensus that global temperature rise needs to be limited to no more than one and a half degrees of pre-industrial level averages in order to mitigate and minimize the most deleterious impacts of climate change. So it outlines reduction pathways, ambition, reduction percentages that need to be adhered to in order to say that your climate change goal, that your emissions reduction target is in line with what science is saying is needed by the global community.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a significant development, certainly if we go back 20 years ago when, when corporations were first setting GHG reduction goals really most of those were intensity-based and normalized to sales. So the ratio would get better, less GHGs per dollar of revenue, but the impact on the environment would probably be still increasing, albeit at maybe a slower rate. So really now, that was a start, but we know with science-based targets, we're doing something that is meaningful and impactful. So for Charles River, it was very important for us. We really wanted to set science-based targets and working with Schneider Electric we were able to do so.
0: Okay. So can you describe some measures that companies can take to make a real dent in their climate impact?
1: The two heaviest hitters that we see consistently are are obviously energy efficiency. So Reducing and mitigating the demand for energy and the emissions that that causes across organizations. That's always a great first place to start because, generally speaking, a reduction in energy also allows a reduction in cost as well. So, there's typically mutual benefits and a lot of win win scenarios there. But that only goes so far. You know, we need to go beyond just reducing what we use and actually starting to decouple energy consumption and decouple business growth from emissions. And that really starts to rely on things like renewable energy. So, yes, I'm still using electricity. Hopefully, considerably less than I used to use, but now I'm also ensuring that what remains, I'm greening up by renewable energy investment, by on-site solar, by wind power and things of that nature. And so those are the two big or heavy hitters. Beyond that, we're getting into to vehicles and fleet and biofuels. We're we're looking at things like value chain and supplier emissions reduction and travel and and virtual uh, you know, business lines instead of physical business lines, things like that. So I think it's really those two big categories where we see the majority of commitments and and activity thus far.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with Eric. And for Charles River, we're focused first on broadly speaking, sustainable design. So we're looking to design our buildings, our new buildings and our retrofits to be more sustainable, to be more inherently safe as well. And we've backed that up with a $5 million annual capital sustainability fund. So that is for projects that might not otherwise get funded. We've challenged our facilities to become much more energy efficient by 2030 as part of our efforts to, to achieve that 50% GHD reduction goal for our own facilities, for the facilities we operate. But as Eric said, we won't get our energy use to zero. So part two of that is looking to be more sustainable in terms of the fuels that we use and the energy we use. And really the place that that most companies go is electricity. And we're looking at virtual power purchase agreements. We've signed a deal, will be some significant announcements in April to source renewable electricity for all of our North American facilities for the next 15 years. So this is really, really positive for us. We'll be getting the renewable energy certificates from a project in Texas. So this is fantastic. And we're working right now on Europe as well. We're going to market and we'll look to uh, hopefully sign a deal by the end of this year, probably have something come online in 2024 or so. And soon as we figure out Europe, we'll move to Asia-Pac. So that's a key piece for us of our GHG reduction strategy reduce energy use, and then green up our electricity.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny you talk about building in these efficiencies because it's always worth noting that for a company like Charles River, it's not a matter of just swapping out one LED bulb for another that's more efficient. You have to still adhere to laboratory standards, you know, and depending on what type of lab you are, they might be quite stringent. So factoring that in as well as the efficiency savings can be very tricky, but also really interesting.
2: Yeah. And one great thing is that all of our engineers, all of our project managers, and all of the outside A&E firms that we partner with are delighted with this effort. They're 100% on board, and they're eager to identify opportunities for us to be more sustainable. So it's been fantastic. And I can say really now it's part of our culture. We design sustainability in. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me for this. This has been uh, really nice chatting with you. And it makes me do feel a little bit more hopeful about the direction that we're all heading in now.
2: Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Mary. Absolutely. My pleasure as well.
0: Thank you.